0: My message today is entitled, Stumbleproof Proof Your Walk. I would su- suffice it to say that though you're a Christian, it's life ain't easy. Would you agree with that? It's okay to say ain't? Oh, thanks. Um, it ain't. It ain't easy. Um, as, as many people like to say, being a Christian ain't for sissies. It's tough. Things are difficult, and we, and we don't always respond well. We may start out with good intentions, and as the day goes, we may react wrong. We may choose wrong. We may we may get tired and give in to sin and do things. And so, we at times, if we're not careful, we stumble. But God has given us um, ways to allow us to aim towards something with, with the hopes that we stumble, proof our walk. And so, I'm going to talk about that today. As the world devolves morally, and people of the world think more of themselves than others, a phenomenon becomes much more apparent. Maybe you've witnessed this phenomenon before. For lack of a better title, I'll simply define it as the, I'm not happy so I will make everyone else unhappy syndrome. It starts when somebody wants to do something nice for someone else or for a group of people a completely unselfish act that serves the needs of others that will require some effort. The only problem is in the eyes of naysayers it's that it's a different way of doing things. It hasn't been done before. Or it hasn't been done this way before. It's kind of what happened with the Pharisees. When Jesus came and wanted to do something new, they couldn't see it, so they complained about it. As soon as it hits on on the cords of these people, who have a misplaced attachment to the world instead of to God, the gates are opened and pessimism and negativity come flooding in. What does it sound like? Maybe you've heard this before. Oh, we can't do that. That will never work. It will take too much effort. People might get offended. What if this happens? Or What if that happens? What will others think of us? you know what, let's just forget it. We don't need to change anything. We're good. What is happening here is that people's security and the status quo is being challenged in an attempt to tip the scales of giving to others instead of giving to yourself first. Yet that is exactly what we are commanded to do. To honor others above ourselves. To give of our time so that others are blessed to move out of our comfort zone to bless others that others might know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient. But unless we are willing to step up and serve others, the body of Christ dies in this world. We are called to put others' needs above ours. Philippians 2 verse 3 says it this way, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Verse 4, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We are commanded to serve others above ourselves. That's not just a pastor's idea or a leadership of the church idea saying, hey, would you be willing to serve? Because without you we can't do it all. We're commanded to put others' needs Above our own, the only problem is that the sinful flesh of mankind is diametrically opposed to serve. The flesh wants to stay in control, to always want the upper hand, to always seek its own comfort and to feed itself first. It's not that we're bad people, that's just that's that's what we're made up of. and I know there's many reasons why people don't serve. I'm not judging that, but I'm seeing I'm, I'm seeing this. Across the world, I'm not just talking about churches, but across the world where people are not willing to serve, they're not willing to be missionaries, they're not willing to go and to help others unless they fed themselves first as a whole. The flesh has an unhealthy view of thinking more highly than itself of itself than others. Any threat to this paradigm is like removing a foundational stone that holds up the entire structure. And since the flesh seeks to preserve its existence at all costs, it comes out in full force with both barrels shooting down any perceived attack on its livelihood. If you catch this type of a neg- negativity coming out of your mouth or your thoughts, as it does for all of us, at times when we're tired, we don't want to think of others first. When we get a call in the middle of the night to go do something, I can tell you my flesh says, just stay in bed and don't answer the call. i am be honest with you, right? But we get up and we do it. And we're blessed, and that someone else is blessed, and we're blessed even beyond that because we obeyed God. But it's our flesh. I'm not saying we're bad people, but our flesh doesn't want us to change. Our flesh doesn't want us to give. Our flesh doesn't want us to step out of our comfort zone and put others' needs above ours. If you catch that thought or those words coming out of your mouth or your mind, understand that your flesh at that moment is ruling over your spirit. We must be willing to discern when this is happening so we can call out this attack and submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you see what's happening? The devil tried to get Jesus by trying to convince Him not to go through the cross to unselfishly save others. It's not just that Jesus died. It was a completely unselfish act because Jesus did not sin. Not only did He die, but He did it for us when we didn't even deserve it. He died for us. It was a completely unselfish act. However, the devil failed and Jesus paid the sacrifice for our sins. And that whoever repents turns from their ways and turns to Jesus and calls upon, the Je- uh, calls upon the name of Jesus now is saved. So with one lost in his belt, the devil now is focused on going after the body of Christ. He is gunning for you. He is gunning for your soul trying to get you to feed your flesh more than your spirit. There is no off-season for temptation. It doesn't relent when the work day is done. In fact, that's usually when it amps up a bit. It constantly is trying to get you to feed your flesh more than your spirit. The way that we break this is by serving others in the same way that Jesus did when He came to us. Do you remember when Jesus said these words in Matthew twenty twenty-eight? He said, Just as the Son of Man, speaking of Himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. See, this is more than a commandment of just to help others. There's a spiritual warfare that happens when you break out of that need that your flesh wants to self-preserve and you serve others, you're breaking that temptation of the enemy. There's spiritual components that are at work. Let us follow the example of the One that we declare to be following. Let us walk like Jesus. Now there is a difference between believers of Jesus and followers of Jesus. We discern the difference by first understanding What the great and precious promises of of God are. Second Peter chapter one verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse three. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God has given us precious promises. It doesn't mean we have them, because we have to claim them. We have to know what they are, know what comes against that, know what's trying to break those and claim them for ourselves so that call, call it goes out to everyone, but not everyone stands on the truth, to claim those promises for their lives. There's no doubt that there's great corruption in the world. In fact, corruption seems to be snowballing downhill at an even faster pace than it was in the past. And yet, Peter draws attention to the fact that if we simply understand and keep and hold on to the great and precious promises of the Lord, we will escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Therefore, it behooves us to understand lust in its entirety so that we can shut the door on this tactic which continually tries to keep us from the promises of God. We can either lust after what the world has to offer, or we can... Devote ourselves to God. You cannot do both. And if you are, you are conflicted and never tapping into the full peace and power and grace and love of Jesus. John teaches us about the threefold depth of lust. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, understand, we can enjoy the things of the world, but there is a line that we cross when we start to love the world more than we'd love God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a pretty strong statement. We love the world, then we do not love God. Again, God created the world. We can enjoy the world But when our devotions and our behaviors and our thoughts and our attention is spending more on the world and getting things out of the world rather than seeking after God and following His commands, then we are challenged. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. By tempting us to lust after the things of this world, the devil attempts to put his hooks into us so he can steer us away from God. This is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve was tempted by the serpent to disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember this in Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Thus they both sinned. Eve coveted the fruit in three different ways, just like John talks about. First, it was appealing to her appetite. John refers to this as the lust of the flesh, the desire for that which feeds, or satisfies any of the physical needs. Understand that the enemy tempts all of us through desires that satisfy our physical needs as well. This is not simply about the downfall of Adam and Eve. This is how the enemy tempts us to lust after the things of our flesh. The fruit was also pleasing or delightful to the eye, that which we see and desire to own or possess. This is the lust of the eye's things that look appealing to our eyes. Finally, Eve perceived that the fruit, if I ate it, would make me wise. It would give her wisdom beyond her own. Part of Satan's lie to Eve was that eating the fruit would make her like God, knowing good and evil. This is the essence of the pride of life. Anything that exalts us above our station in life And offers the illusion of God-like qualities. Like, I know everything. Sometimes that's the root for people that want to gossip. That want to spread rumors. Is the need to know everything. Think about it like God. I know everything, so I'm going to gossip about to spread rumors, I'm going to spread secrets. That's that pride of life. That wanting, that power of wanting to know everything. Wherein we, where we boast in arrogance and worldly wisdom, either in word or even in thought. Eve wanted to be like God in her knowledge, not content to live in the perfect world under His perfect grace, where he cared for her. Likewise, the devil uses these same three temptations on Christ when he spent 40 days in the wilderness. He tempted Jesus with the lust of the flesh when he tempted Him to turn these stones into bread for his hunger, his physical needs. Satan also tempted Jesus with the lust of the eyes when he offered to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all its splendor if Jesus would just bow down and worship Him. And Satan also tempted Jesus with the pride of life, daring Him to cast Himself off the roof of the temple in order to prove that He was the Messiah by a showy display of power that was not in the will of God nor His plan for the redemption of mankind. But Jesus, though He was tempted in all the same ways that we are, resisted the devil and used the Word of God to ensure victory over this temptation. Christians have always been and always will be lured by these same three temptations that Eve and Jesus experienced. You know why? You don't fix something if it ain't broke. You ever heard that saying before? Jesus, I'm sorry. Satan does not change his methods. He doesn't have to, because they continue to be successful. He tempts to he tempts us with the lust of the flesh, for example, through sexual gratification, gluttony, excessive alcohol consumption, drugs, both legal and illegal. We're tempted, as well as the deeds of the flesh about which Paul warned the Galatians. Galatians 5:19 19-21. The acts of the flesh are obvious, he writes. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. He also tempts us with the lust of the eyes, the endless accumulation of stuff with which we fill our homes and our garages, and the insatiable desire to always want something more, something better, newer possessions, which ensnares us and hardens our hearts to the things of God. But perhaps His most evil temptation is the pride of life. The very sin that resulted in Satan's expulsion From heaven. He desired to be God. Not to be a servant of God. I don't, you know, Satan was created as as Lucifer, was given a beautiful voice and beautiful pipes within him to sing the praises to God. Lucifer was the worship leader of heaven. But he said, I don't want to worship God. I want to be worshiped myself. That was his sin. It was the pride of life. That's why God cast him out of heaven the arrogant boasting which constitutes the, which constitutes the pride of life motivates the other two lusts as it seeks to elevate itself above all others and fulfill personal desires it changes the flow from out here to change the flow to come to me that's what the those three things do when we're understanding lust it's the root of cause it's the root cause of strife in families and in churches and in nations It exalts the self in direct contradiction to Jesus' statement that those who would follow Him would take up their own cross. Do you know what? The cross is not just a pretty thing that hangs on the wall. The cross is an instrument of death. It was used to kill people. And Jesus said we need to take up our cross, which means we need to kill our sinful desires. And then deny ourselves. And then follow Him. The pride of life stands in the way if we truly seek to be servants of God. It is the arrogance that separates us from others and limits our effectiveness in the kingdom. The pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And as such, it is passing away with the world. But those who resist and overcome the temptation of the pride of life do the will of God. And the man who does the will of God, the Bible says, will live forever. Here it is in 1 John 2.17. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. See, that whole part of connecting into that promise of eternal life, of connecting into following God in that narrow path, has to do with us breaking the lust of the world and following God and serving others. Not being selfish, but following others and blessing others and putting them above ourselves. It's so crucial. Thus, the first step in overcoming the temptation of lust is to understand it in all three phases so that we can recognize it when it comes our way. And it will come all of our ways. All of us will be tempted. All of us will fall. All of us will fail. But thank God there's grace at the foot of the cross. The second step is to acknowledge it and repent of it when we fall in any of these areas, in word or thought or deed. The third step is is to ask God to give you His strength to say no to temptation, in the same way that Jesus said no when He was tempted in the wilderness, and every step along the way on His journey to the cross and beyond. The steps are given to overcome, and these steps are listed in the second book of Peter. How do we overcome? How do we break this lust? How do we get the ability to say no? Well, it's in the second book of Peter. Second Peter one verse five. For this very reason, give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue add knowledge. We don't just wake up with the power to overcome. If we as if we had some kind of invisible force field around us at all times. Oh, well, I'm a Christian, that's not going to affect me. Not how it works. It takes diligence, the Word the word says, for us to want to overcome first. Our faith declaration is that Jesus gives us the power to overcome if we seek Him and stand on His Word. Getting His Word and taking time to put His Word deep in our hearts so that we are ready to stand on His Word and use His Word like a shield and a sword to defeat temptation just like Jesus did. Why do we think we can do it somewhere else? That's the first step. Then to add to our faith, we add virtue. Or our desire to live like Jesus in ways that are pleasing to Him. Now if we don't have this desire to live that way, it means we're seeking after more things of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And unless we repent and turn to Jesus, we will stumble. That's what the Bible says we will fall short of the glory of God. If we love the world more than we love Jesus as demonstrated by our thoughts and our words and our behaviors and our prayer life, then it's time for a wake-up call. This is the knowledge that we need. The knowledge that tells us that the Holy Spirit is here to convict the world of sin. If we continue in deliberate sin without conviction and without remorse, Even after the Holy Spirit's leading, then we become disobedient and risk hardening our hearts towards God. 2 Peter 1, verse 6. To knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, add perseverance. To perseverance, add godliness. Once we know where and how to walk like Jesus, we must add self-control by submitting to the Holy Spirit. By being willing to stop when we are convicted of sinning, you know how it is when you're in that conversation and that thing goes off in the back of your head and says, "Don't go there," "Don't laugh at that joke," "Don't respond." And sometimes we do, but sadly, say more often we we stay in that conversation. That's self-control. And so the Bible says that in every temptation, that God will provide a way out, but we have to walk out when He gives us the temptation when He gives us the way out. We can't stay in that conversation or stay watching that movie or doing that whatever when He provides that way out. Self-control says, alright, I hear you God. I'm going to turn and run away right now. We have to be willing to pursue God rather than the lusts of the world. This isn't easy. Once again, these steps take effort on our part. We must be willing to change. We must be willing to repent. We must be willing to say no to sin. Please don't think I'm preaching at you. I preach these messages to myself. I am guilty. I struggle in areas. But I continue to come to God because I believe He's given us the power to overcome by the great and precious promises of God. Of course, many will feel condemned at this point because they may be addicted to sin. Or they may willingly admit that they enjoy the sin too much to stop. Even to the point where they've convinced themselves that their sin's not too bad. If you find yourself struggling to break free from the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, God gives us a biblical way to begin this process to break through. Don't condemn yourself and say, I haven't been changed yet. Or I can't do it. Don't condemn yourself. Turn to God's Word and He's going to give you the biblical way to break through. Philippians 2.13 It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I use it all the time when I'm counseling people. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. See, God does two things in us and we always miss the first thing. God works in us both to will and to do. This means that the first thing He does when we ask Him is He causes us not to want to sin. He wills us to seek Him if we ask Him. He gives us the will to do something. We don't just decide on our own we're going to do it. Because the truth is, because sin satisfies some needs of the flesh or the eyes, we get enjoyment out of it. That's why why sin works. And so we need to say, God, break that in me. Too many people condemn themselves because they keep on sinning and secretly don't want to stop because it feels good. God's remedy is to stand on this Scripture and ask God, to will you to stop sinning. Ask God to make sin become a bad taste in your mouth. This will help you to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, where maybe you have become hardened of hearing Him speak in the past. And when He speaks, now by the power of the Spirit, you'll be able to walk away. I'm going to tell you, it won't be easy. Because your flesh will still crave it. Your flesh will tell you, you got away with it in the past, you'll get away with it again, you can just ask God for forgiveness later. That's what the flesh does to all of us. But by the power of God, I tell you today that you can overcome it if you desire to follow after Jesus. He works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You have to believe this and know that He will give you breakthrough power. And as you continue to trust Jesus for this power and keep saying no to sin, and even if you fall, repent and keep saying no to sin again. And keep seeking Jesus. This adds an anointed perseverance to your tool belt. We're asked to add perseverance to it. That means not giving up. Even when you fall, don't give up. A lot of the modern church talks about, oh, I had a breakthrough with God today. Listen, Breakthroughs are not measured by moments in time. Breakthroughs are measured by consistently standing on the truth of God's Word over a long period of time. Persevering in His strength and not your own. So that we can complete the breaking process and totally break away from whatever has been holding us back. To our perseverance, we add godliness. Godliness. A true desire to live holy before God. To be convicted before we engage in sin. Rather than being convicted after, godliness is, God, I want you to convict me before I step into it, before I open my mouth, before I respond. That's godliness of being, asking to be convicted while we're concerned, it so we don't do it. To be quick to repent and seek to live a life worthy of our redemption. Second Peter 1.7 It's a godliness... Add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, add love. See, to godliness, we must add brotherly kindness. Remember, this is whole, a whole thing is about how to stumble proof our walk. This is one of the most crucial connections in this whole list. To go from godliness to brotherly kindness. Why? Because everything else worked on us. Self-control, perseverance, faith but now it's a brotherly kindness that's going to break that pattern and I'm going to extend that to someone else. That's the whole goal of what God is saying. It's one thing to seek holiness in how we choose to think and speak and respond to God. But it's a whole other thing to be kind to others, especially when they are unkind to you. Especially when we are treated poorly or unfairly we criticized. Especially when it happens by people who are closest to you, your friends and your family. It's especially hard to be kind to them. I know. God tests me all the time. It's not fun. I'm guessing He does the same thing to you. One of the last things on this list is brotherly kindness. It is impossible to do this on our own in every situation. We need Jesus to give us His grace to reflect to others. We need Jesus to give us His strength to forgive others. We need Jesus to keep us from entering into self-preservation when we feel attacked or wounded. The way we break out of this is by displaying brotherly kindness, serving others, expecting nothing in return, not even a thank or a notice. Or an appreciation. If I'm truly serving God and not expecting anything, then I know my reward's in heaven. That's what the Bible says. When you get their thanks and you live off of their things and you live off the appreciation, the Bible says you received your reward in full right here and now. I don't want that to happen. I want to do things and not not expect anything in return. Where people don't even know what I'm doing. Because when I do that and I don't live off of that appreciation, then my reward's in heaven. That's how you break, that's why it's spiritual warfare. You break the enemy trying to get a, an inroad into your heart and mind. Listen, the hope of the world is the body of Christ. Serving others unselfishly. Giving to the needs of others. And believing that God will take care of us when we take care of others. Scott, can you come up? As, 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 as we break that, and give to others. It's not always going to be easy. We're not always going to be comfortable. We may be tired and have a bunch of excuses, but when we do that, it's not just us stepping in to fill a need. Understand there is a, a spiritual warfare going on. And we are breaking another inroad for the enemy into us, into everyone as well. The body of Christ is the hope of the world. When we are in this place consistently, it means that we have added love to our journey. We love the way that Christ loved. This is what He has called all of us to do, to love others. In and of ourselves, it's impossible to reach this level of love towards others. But with God, all things are possible the first and greatest obstacle that stands in our way is our willingness to change. And our willingness to admit that we have selfish tendencies. Our willingness to admit that we've given in to the temptation of the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Because if we freely acknowledge this before God and ask Him to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our sins like His Word promises to do, And empower us to live for him, then he is faithful to give us that breakthrough power. Second Peter one eight. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we come to God in repentance and walk on the walk on with his power to overcome, we will bear his fruit in our lives that keeps us close to God to bless others so that others may draw near to Him as well. Verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sins. We've all, if you've come to Jesus, you've all been cleansed from your old sins, from your iniquities, from your strongholds. If you found yourself stuck in these old sins which you've once been delivered, don't lose hope. Hope is always at the cross. Simply turn to God and confess your sins and stand on the truth of His Word that you have been redeemed. It's a lie from Satan that you are lost for good or that you've fallen away and cannot be close to God again. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and be converted or turn to God that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. When you turn to God, He forgives you completely. No matter what you've done. forgives you completely. Your slate is washed clean. So that you can see the truth in His Word and be able to stand again. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things in this list, you will never stumble. This is a promise from God that we all need this day to stumble-proof our walk, to declare our devotion, or declare our allegiance to God. Not to the world, but to declare our allegiance to God so that we can truly follow Him all the way into eternity. Finally, verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of, our word, of your Word. We thank you for convicting us at levels that we needed to be convicted in. Lord God, let us not hold back because of pride. God, we know the pride of life even admits it causes us prevents us from admitting that we need you. It causes us to prevents us from admitting that we have sinned, so that we can be healed by you. Lord God, right now, break down the walls of pride. So that we can come to You and acknowledge where we have fallen. Where we have sinned. So that You can be our answer. So that You can cleanse us and heal us and wash us and remove our sins from us. So we can stand in Your presence for all eternity. Thank You for the power of Your Word to stumble-proof our walks. We declare our allegiance to You, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.